was doing all I could to com- keep my composure over there and not just break on and break out into a full on ugly cry through all of that. I apologized to the young family in front of me. I was singing way off key because I was like, <laughs> just like trying not to lose it. It's amazing. Sarah, welcome to my world. You get to present a message that's written for you. You know, oh, she left. She done? Oh, she didn't. Oh, you just moved. Tricky. And it's amazing to give a praise report on the material that's already written for you because the Lord moved and did some things. And so every time I come to the scriptures, I feel like that's my opportunity. I just get to present what's there and not have to embellish it or to make it jazzier than it is or any of that sort of thing. Because God has done the work. He's done the move. And what we're hearing this morning, we're giving more space for the conversation as we start this year off because we want to set the tone right for 2023. That we have been built up and encouraged in so many ways as a church and we have have become a a healthy and stable um, body of believers together. But what is it calling us to? What is it moving us to next? And a report like we just heard from Sarah and what Pastor Tom did, I think, was incredible to lead us through that um, greeting for the Robertsons and all the opportunities that we have to get to make those kind of connections and things and by the way, doesn't Pastor Tom look a lot smarter with glasses on? I just like to embarrass him because he just loves all the attention. How did poor eyesight become a symbol of intelligence anyway? I wear contacts so I don't get the added benefit of people thinking I'm smart, you know? They hear it comes out of my mouth, they're like, there's no pair of glasses big enough to make that guy look any smarter. Anyway. Anyway, thank you, Pastor Tom, for doing that. But but again, the conversation this morning is all about expanding our vision and seeing the opportunities that are at our feet and at our doorstep. And the beauty about being able to come and speak to you this morning about these things, we were praying about this in my office this morning and just saying, man, we get to talk about spurring on a church that's already moved by compassion, a church that's already motivated to represent Jesus in the context in which they live. And so I don't have the drudgery as so many pastors do of coming and saying, wake up, people. It's time to get serious about this. I don't have to do that with our church. Now, I know there's individuals and I know some of us are feeling stuck in the mud. I know some of us need to hear a call from the Lord and respond to it and and give more of our lives over. I don't mean to generalize too much. But what we're talking about here is that we're seeing a church live and act healthily. This is what happens when a church has centered itself on the gospel. And this is why we want to continue to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost in everything we do. And with Sarah talking about the the activity that we did and the dollars that were raised and the gifts that were sent out at the heart of all of that, as she said over and over and over again, is to present Christ. And so if we're not motivated by that, we quickly become like every other organization who has something in them because God has given us a general grace, a collective grace over mankind to want to provide for the needs of others. But it's very difficult, it's near impossible for the heart, the hearts that we have as sinners to not make that activity something that makes us feel good about ourselves. Or we get motivated to be a part of something bigger. We have all of these smaller picture or lesser reasoned ways or uh, things to or reasons for which we've participated rather than this thing that never fades and never goes away. 
and in every generation needs it as much as the previous, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church, the collective body of individual believers brought together in unity is the driving force of God's impact in the world. And because that's true, we need to understand how the church was designed, what the church was given to us for, because unfortunately there's been far too much settling for a smaller vision and view of what the church is to be about in our culture. Our attempts as we... Um, led into this a little bit last week, our attempts as a church to move this church continually to a place of unity and shared fellowship with one another was built on a, a three-pronged effort. We did things in threes because it's a holy number. We have to do everything in threes. But I honestly believe that we're going to see this theme play out in so many aspects of what we're studying and what we're seeing, but how we, the terms we put on it locally here at Faith Evangelical Free Church was that we would strive to learn together, that we would grow in gospel knowledge and application, that we wouldn't just be satisfied with putting our time in at church or hearing a nice tickly message that could kind of fit on the back of a, a, a book jacket or something that just makes us feel better as a daily inspiration, but that we would take the, the meat and the knowledge of who God is as he's revealed himself in his word, and we would dig our noses in the pages and get to know who he is by how he's revealed himself. And so we would study that, we would grow in the knowledge, but also how we apply that and live it out. That we would live together, that we would grow in relationship with other believers. And give of ourselves and some of the tendencies that we have in our culture and even in our area of the country and everything to be a little bit more withdrawn, to be a little bit more independent, a little bit more um, isolated from others around us. That instead we would take a step forward into connecting with one another and supporting one another. And that would in, in, in turn lead us to lead outwardly, that we would lead together to have our, our gospel impact grow in our city in which we call ourselves residents of and even beyond as we saw from our opportunity with the Robertsons. So with the time that I have with you this morning, I want to continue the discussion that we started last week and call you to just a couple of bigger picture um, issues and to have you embrace the bigger picture first of the church's purpose, why God designed the church the way he did and what he's calling us to do to participate and contribute to it, but also to embrace the bigger possibilities of your own purpose. Because God has a plan for you as well, and he has a design for you. And the more that we pursue that, the more we find fulfillment. I wonder how you felt as you were hearing Sarah's report, and you were, especially if you participated in that, didn't it make you feel like you were part of something bigger? Didn't it make you feel like what you gave? Because I can't imagine the amount of sacrifice that went into that. We're all going through the same stuff out there in the economy. And I can't imagine how much sacrifice that would have taken for, for so many individuals in this church to have given of their resources and the limitations of what they have and the, the fear of what's to come in the new year and all those things and to still say, but that counts more. And I can do that and I'm going to do that. And then to hear the results and to see, I was a part of something like that. And it's amazing. That's what the Lord gives us for purpose as he includes us in his glory. So as we look to embrace this bigger picture of what the church is to be about, we, we start to see well, what Christians have really settled for and what they've demanded of church 
is far too small for what God intended for it to be. And that's why I'm looking forward to when we conclude Ephesians, which we have so many great things left in Ephesians in chapter six. We'll get to Lord willing next week. But as we conclude that and we move into the book of Acts and we see why and how the Lord formed the church and how how the people living in that time just came to expect God to do great and incredible and powerful things. What that has become so uh, far too often in our culture today, though, is an expectation of the individual that I am pursuing a church because of something I can get out of it. And then churches get into a, a habit of chasing their tail, wanting to meet all those kind of felt needs, they call them. So because people want to belong to something or because people need various elements of support in their life, or they're looking for an experience, something they can participate in, like a worship experience that's big and grand, or because they want the approval of a culture who has an idea of what churches should be doing, like closed closets and sandwich lines, and as long as you stay in your lane, you're cool with us, and so we strive to kind of get the culture's approval on what a church is. And because people are walking into churches far too often with those expectations, a church is designing its leadership and its approach to want to tickle all of those fancies. What you might be hearing me say is that the church shouldn't care about those things. That's not what I'm saying at all. It might seem a little bit subtle, but it's gigantic in terms of where our priorities are. I want people to walk into faith church and feel like, hey, I think I could find a family here. I could make some friends. I've been isolated or I haven't seen people act like this towards each other out there in the world. I want them to have that sense of belonging. I want people that are walking in with all kinds of needs and issues and a lack of solutions to their life's problems and say, you guys have the answers. I'm so glad I found you. Or I want people to step into our collective experience as we worship together as a group and we're led musically and through the reading of scripture and our prayer time and all that sort of stuff to, to be transported into the presence of God and say that was a, that was something to behold. That was amazing to be a part of. And I certainly would like to hear from time to time that the city or the town or the state or the world in which we live kind of looks at what we're doing and say, you guys are actually bringing a lot of impact to, to how we live. We appreciate you. That would be great to hear. So I want all of those things and you want all of those things. But once we start chasing those things, we get all squirrely and get all off kilter and lose our focus. So instead, what we understand is that the church's fulfillment is found when it chases God's design for her. All of those things I mentioned, belonging, support, experience, cultural approval, all of those things would be the byproduct of how the Lord chooses to move, reward, and bless a church rather than us feeling like we can manufacture those things somehow. You might be here this morning saying, I didn't realize any of this was all that controversial and why are you making such a big deal of it? Because because we are the church, it's not just on a handful of leaders to keep our eyes on these kinds of things, that it's actually the people of the church themselves who will also say this is the kind of church that we want to maintain for the glory of the Lord. So we press into our understanding of the gospel to a greater degree and some time ago, maybe boy, almost a couple of years ago now or something, I had come across a summation of the gospel of Jesus Christ written by David Platt. 
in a book uh, called Counter Culture. And um, it's a paragraph, but I think it's a great summation and a good idea for what we're talking about when we say the gospel. Some of you might have an experience of the gospel being something that the preacher tagged on at the end of the service and said, if you want to come up front and receive Jesus as Savior. And so there was a presentation or a pitch or something like that. Um, that was kind of my experience. So I started to define the gospel as the little thing you can say in a few minutes at the end of a message. And others might see the gospel as, you know, kind of the philanthropic stuff or the shirt off your back kind of thing. The gospel is all of those elements. And it's something that we are called to live by, surrender to, and chase down daily as Christians. Not just for the person who's never heard of Jesus or hasn't met him yet, but for all of us to be shaped daily by it. So let me read this paragraph. The gospel is the good news that the only true God... The just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin through his substitutionary death on the cross and to show his power over sin and death through his resurrection from the grave so that everyone who turns from their sin and themselves and trusts in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. Now, again, we could break this down, we could slow this down, but suffice it to say for today that that, that presentation or that package, that paragraph, um, is, is the driving um, application of what we live by here as a church. Because it's our understanding that you and I were made to live for something much bigger than our own designs and desires. We have been radically transformed by this gospel message. Jesus didn't just come in and give us a new set of rules. He didn't just come in and give us a new set of circumstances or new set of friends or any of that. He came to give us life and life eternal so that the moment my last breath and that's done, my life, my life goes on. But it wasn't the life I started. wasn't the life I created for myself. It was the one that he provided for me. He pays for my sins. He forgives me of my debt. He replenishes all of my, my, um, my default against him with his own credit by his grace. He's beat death by raising from the grave. He's done all of that to bring us back to a relationship with God, the father. So we understand the gospel to a greater extent as believers, as a church collective, We prioritize the gospel. We make it our highest privilege because that's what it is. While a world might be out there chasing their own definition of happiness or fulfillment, we are starting to grow in our understanding that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have no purpose and fulfillment because it transforms. It informs every next step of my life. And what we see is that the gospel builds us up inside to prepare us to move on the outside. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So what I thought I would do is to share with you a little bit further detail on some of the breakdown of learn together, live together, and lead together. Some of these details we've discussed in our membership settings, and I know not all of you are able to be in those um, environments and stuff, so there's a little bit more detail coming your way. But all of this is to spring, springboard the things that you're going to hear from this pulpit, from this stage, from our social media, from our other meetings and groups and everything on a regular basis. So our efforts to prioritize the gospel 
and bring unity to our church here begins with learning together. Remember last week we got into Romans 12 as an overview. And I had kind of recently, I guess, rediscovered Romans 12 through some of my study and just reading that whole chapter saying, man, if there was ever a way, you'd probably have to change some of the words a little bit for it to read as such. But if there's ever a way for that to be an epitaph of the life I would want to have lived before the Lord, or if that was ever a way to describe the church I lived with, served in and everything one day and say, this is who we were. This is what we strove for. This is what we that's what we uh, attempted to accomplish. It would be the elements that Paul is challenging the believer here in Romans 12. And we won't read its, its, its entirety again like we did last week, but in sections as we cover each of these pieces. I want us to just start with the first couple of verses. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You hear a lot of that today about, well, I'm, I'm spiritual. And Paul is connecting our spiritual worship to what we've done with our bodies. He says that you would offer your physical selves as a living sacrifice. We know that our, our hesitations, our temptations, all the draws that keep us away from God and create distance there comes from the body that we live in. And so Paul is saying that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which God finds acceptable, useful, set apart for him. And that would be our spiritual worship. So he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is saying your bodies live uh, given as a sacrifice. That would be our energies, our wishes, our thoughts, all that sort of stuff. Um, Our time, our uh, inconveniences, all of those things we give to the Lord physically. And we get there by the renewal of our mind, because as our mind ours as our thinking is transformed, we engage with these opportunities differently. So that's what we strive to do together as a body of of Christians is that we want to learn together. Why? So that our minds will be renewed. It will be transformed. So we strive for that in the pulpit where we want to study God's word for all that we can get out of it rather than what we put into it and give you a message that just makes us feel good or comes up with some of my own crazy ideas and ask the Bible to back them up. What we want to do is pull all the truth that we can extract from the scriptures and make it applicable for today. And so all of our pulpit teachers carry that same uh, rigor and and focus. And they're continually studying to try to improve their ability to do that. Because why? Because we want our minds transformed. We want our minds renewed. But it isn't just the pulpit. It's in our small groups. It's in our classrooms. We've got little kids right now learning the the elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the Lord was seen in every book of the Bible and how we're anticipating um, that renewal and that reconciliation to God. They're getting all of these things. If you want to find out what the gospel's about, start asking your kids. They'll be able to tell you. 
And it's carrying up into the, all the age groups. We have that in our teen ministries. We have, uh, under Pastor Gary's leadership, that's happening faithfully and regularly. We've, even as they get out of the home and we have various adult groups and things, again, it's a focus on what is God's word really saying and how do we get to the bottom of it? Our attempts last year to share a creed, an ancient creed, one that was anchored in clear doctrine so that we would know to be able to answer what we believe. And so I had various elders and teachers assist me in that process. And we went for a a few months on breaking down the Apostles' Creed. So again, we would know. So our minds would be transformed. Well, we're not done. We're always looking for new opportunities and new on-ramps to be able to present to you because we believe that's our responsibility to make it as clear and, 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 uh, and easy as possible for you to say, okay, I want to take advantage of that opportunity for my mind to be renewed and transformed. So Pastor Tom's going to come and take a few minutes to, um, spell out to you what we talked about earlier with the disciple growth track and you can make your way up. Um, and, uh, and then we'll talk about how to specifically engage in that in just a moment. Sorry. <laughs> now, uh, what Pastor Brent was talking about with uh, what we call the disciple growth track, um, I'm going to call it DGT from now on, just for, just for the sake of, uh, of not having to say that big title each time. But um, on February 1st, on Wednesday, February 1st, we're going to be launching the DGT. And this is kind of a small group type of thing. Actually, it's more of a Sunday school type of thing. It's not going to happen on Sunday. It's going to happen on Wednesday night. But it's, it's going to be something where we can all gather together um, as a church in individual tables in the Beely Center and discuss um, what it is that the Lord has for us as far as renewing and transforming our minds. And the, over goal, the overall goal of this whole initiative, the overall goal of the DGT, is to provide a venue for interactive biblical teaching and also providing an environment where we can grow and establish the fellowship and the friendship that we have right here in this church body. So we have interactive biblical teaching and fellowship, those two components of the DGT, and I'll expand on those. Um, talking about the teaching first, again, it's going to be a series of weekly gatherings starting Wednesday night in February, and the content of our studies, it's going to be designed to give us a clear discipleship pathway as followers of Jesus to walk through. And there's going to be three, three formative areas that the, DG, that the DGT is going to focus on. On developing these three spheres, they're going to give each disciple a foundation, foundational understanding, a well-rounded understanding of what we believe and how we are to live it out. And those three areas, they are seeing the big picture of the Bible storyline. That's the first one. Second session will be leading a gospel-shaped life. And the third is understanding and applying biblical doctrine. So the Bible storyline, that's the one that's going to start in February. We're going to be focusing on the Bible story as a whole. And the book and study that we're we're going to be going through is called God's Big Picture. It's by Vaughn Roberts. And it's going to help us track the story of the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And we'll get to understand how all these books fit together to, to tell one story, to talk about the plan that God has to save the world through Jesus Christ. And the reason we're going to do this is because an awareness of the central story of the Bible, that's what lays the foundation for how we read and we understand the Bible as a whole. And this is important because 
A lot of us are tempted, even longtime Christians are tempted to treat the Bible like it's a quote book, like it's a collection of random things that we can just pull out of at our will and just assign them uh, meaning to any particular situation we find ourselves in. But that's not how we understand the Bible. Now, the Bible, um, it's like you wouldn't take a novel and just open it up and just read one sentence uh, irregardless of the context that it's in and expect that you can understand the author's meaning. Now, the Bible is similar to that. It's not a novel, but we need to keep in mind the overarching part, uh, the overarching story of the Bible, which is in Jesus Christ. And keeping that big picture in mind will help us to see how all the smaller parts fit together and how we can apply them. So this is how Vaughn Roberts talks about this principle in his introduction of the book. He says, I am told that when when paratroopers land in an unknown territory, they are trained to pause before moving. They must first get their bearings in order to set out for their destination. This is wise advice for us, too, as we read the Bible. My aim in this book is to give you an overview of the main storyline of the Bible. It's not going to make you an expert in all the details of Scripture, but I hope that it will enable you to get your bearings when you land in any part of it. By the end of this book, you should have the outline of the Bible's story in your mind so that whatever part you are reading, you should know where you have come from and where you are heading. This will also help you discover how each part points to Jesus Christ in the salvation that he has accomplished. All right, so by the time we finish this nine-week study of this book, we're going to be able to read the Bible with an increased confidence and understanding. All right, the second session, starting in April, is called Gospel-Shaped Living. And this is designed to broaden our understanding of how the good news of Jesus impacts every facet of our lives. You know, the gospel, the, the gospel isn't just for when we die and go to heaven. It's for here. It's for now. The gospel is changing our lives. It's uh, shaping how we, how we do our relationships, um, our, our work, our parenting, our emotions, our finances, our priorities. Everything is transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ and transformed by the hope of the gospel. And so by, by this session, we are going to learn how to be gospel practitioners. We're going to learn to live our lives more fully, you know, not only for our good and for the good of others, but for the glory of God. And um, some of you may remember Travis Pelletier. Uh, Travis was here in August. He's a missionary. Essentially, he's a missionary to college campuses uh, with, an, with an organization called Radio Christi. Uh, Travis is incredibly smart. He's articulate, dynamic speaker, and he's going to be joining us for four weeks immediately after we complete the gospel-shaped living curriculum in order to help us uh, develop our evangelism skills, in order to teach us how to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Now, the third curriculum we're going through, it's going to begin in the fall. That's a ways away. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but we'll be working our way through what's called systematic theology. Don't be intimidated by that title. It's just finding the relevance and application of biblical doctrine. Now, biblical doctrine is the core truths of the Christian faith. You know, how we, what we believe and how we live that out. So, like I said, we're going to tackle these topics as small groups in the Bealey Center. Each group is going to have a table leader to lead the discussion using a printed curriculum. So, these are not, um, lectures. Remember I said it's interactive biblical teaching, so you won't just be sitting in a classroom hearing me yammer on. These are discussions that you're going to be a part of, and you'll have every opportunity in the time leading up 
to this study to uh, to turn the content over in your mind before you meet, so you'll be prepared for the discussion. Uh, the more you prepare, the more you're going to grow, and the more you'll be able to contribute to the growth of others. All right, so in addition to the good content we're going to have, it's also a great way to grow in fellowship with each other. You know, that's the second component of the, DD, the DGT, to grow in fellowship. Um, you'll get to know each other at table discussions. And to help that along, to facilitate that, the seating assignments each week are going to be randomized. I'll tell you where you're going each week so you don't have to um, have that awkward dance of finding some friends to sit with. You know, I'm having flashbacks to middle school, walking into the cafeteria. Like, I don't know anybody here. What am I going to do? So this is going to be great if you don't have relationships here at the church. If you're a new believer, if you're new to the church and you want to get to know some people, this is a great way to do that. I'll tell you where to sit. And this is also great if you've been here at the church for a while, if you have established relationships. Uh, I don't think anybody sets out to be clicky or to exclude anybody, but it's human nature to gravitate towards those people that you already know. So I'm going to mix things up each week and make sure that you have opportunity to get to, new, get to know some new people through your discussions. Now, I've invited Connect Group leaders to be our table leaders. And speaking to Connect Group leaders for a moment, I just want to say that your participation in that, it fulfills 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul, when he's speaking to his disciple Timothy, he says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, Timothy, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So this, this between Paul and Timothy and the church, it's a picture of discipleship that reproduces itself. Paul teaches Timothy, Timothy teaches other trustworthy people, and these trustworthy people pass it on to others and on and on and on. That's how the church reproduces itself. Disciples making disciples. And Connect Group leaders, you got a part to play in the next phase of discipleship here at Faith. And there's no telling what the Lord is going to do through your commitment and your efforts. And now speaking to everybody, not just Connect Group leaders, we all have a part to play in the work of discipling the church. It's not just the work of pastors, not just the work of group leaders. Now, when I say you've got a part in it, I don't want you to be intimidated by that. Um, you may not end up leading a small group. You may not end up as a pastor. You may not be called to a leader pos- leadership position. That is okay. But maybe God wants to use something that you're going to say at a table discussion to impact the life of somebody else. That's discipleship too. That's something that we all can do. We all have a part in this. So the DGT, it's a, it's a great program for a new believer looking to learn the basics of the faith, the core truth, core truths of what we believe, but this is going to benefit everybody. Now, when you're considering whether or not the disciple growth track is for you, you know, maybe you would say something like, well, I really, I know the Bible storyline already. I've read it cover to cover multiple times. I'm not really going to get anything out of that. Well, I'd like to challenge that kind of thinking. That's consumerism. It's asking the question, what am I going to get out of this? And that is not the biblical model for discipleship at all. Instead, mutual participation, interactive teaching, learning together, bringing others alongside of you. That's the model for biblical discipleship. So please hear this carefully. If you find yourself saying or even thinking, I'm not getting anything out of this, 
really in any aspect of church life. It's probably a sign that you've started asking yourself the question, what can the people of the church do for me? Instead of asking the better question, what can I do for the people of the church? So maybe the, maybe the Bible storyline is old news for you. Maybe you're not going to learn anything new. So why bother? Well, because a large part of our spiritual growth, the next step for you maybe is to learn to pass on those truths. Learn to pass on what you've learned about following Jesus to others. God's design for discipleship is not just for you to accumulate knowledge and truths for yourself, but the important step is to learn to pass those things on to others. Now, if more of us make that shift in mindsets, if we're, if more and more people are, are taking this kind of opportunity to intentionally disciple others, our church will continue to grow and continue to flourish. But if we don't, all the knowledge dies with us when we go and the church will only last one generation. Now, another reason to participate is because a large part of our Christian life is simply being reminded of things that we already know. Fundamentals are important. Soldiers, athletes, they never outgrow the basics. They are always practicing these things. And lastly, God is going to surprise you. You know, just like every pass you make through the Bible, you're going to learn something new. God reveals truths to you that for whatever reason, you weren't able to receive before. And he especially does this in community, in discussion with other believers. So at Faith, we believe it's a pastor's responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, whatever God has in store for you. So I hope you take us up on this opportunity to grow in your knowledge and your application of truth and also to strengthen the relationships that we have right here at the church as well. Now, we believe that this is the next step in growing the unity and the effectiveness of our church. So I hope and I pray that you will participate. So you can see me after church to sign up to get your book ordered, God's Big Picture. Uh, so see me at the welcome desk to sign up today. All right, thank you and God bless. He got an applause. <laughs> Jealous. No, I still, that's going to him. I just, I know what you're up to. All right, because Pastor Tom's uh, uh, presentation about learning together also covers aspects of living together, let me quickly move through that piece, especially as we uh, cover a little bit more real estate in Romans 12. Picking back up in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Unity or community or fellowship, as it's traditionally referred to as a church, is not as easy to achieve as some might think. It's not just how many potlucks you hold or whether or not people chat for a little while. Church. Ben doesn't like me talking about uh, fellowship and unity, right? True introvert. Um, and so the idea here is that we don't just satisfy, pat ourselves on the back because people are talky. 
But what we're looking for when it comes to unity and fellowship is that the needs are being met individually, not waiting for some program to scratch the itch or not waiting for a pastor to say, well, you know, something that you didn't know existed or something. And, and the, the reality is that we continue to hear the, that the people are looking after the people in our church. And that's an indicator of health. That's an indicator of the gospel on the move. We've seen a growing practice in our membership commitment, both from our elders who are attempting to shepherd well various membership groups and our members reaching out and relying on the ministry of our elders to a greater capacity, which only continues to grow and improve. Uh, we've seen strong fellowship and learning in our ministries that are reaching our men individually, our women individually. And, and though the church, you may not know it as you look around the room right now, but the church has shrunk over the years. And uh, with a smaller overall number of the church, our participation in those kinds of events and ministries is greater than it's ever been. And I take that as a sign of health in our fellowship, in our community. More and more people are wanting to be together and to, and to encourage one another. And so that's what we're looking for when we're talking about living together as a church and community. And we will continue to pray towards and encourage more opportunities for that. Let me spend the remainder of our time, which is just shrinking away, on the last aspect of lead together. I believe this is the important next step for our church because as a church gets some of those other things that we've talked about, more knowledge, more comfort with one another, if it's not exercised to go out and do something useful and productive with it, it becomes a little bit bloated, inflated, or into its own self and pats itself on its back for success. And not only that, but it's not what we were designed to do. We were designed to give. We were called to give and move out. So why the word lead? Why not just evangelize as it's often referred to or outreach or any of those kinds of things? In particular, in our culture today, I believe the church is on its heels. The church is reacting to everything culture and unfortunately what other churches throw at it. And so as we see a lot of strife and bickering and opinion and all these other kinds of things, the church is finding like, what do we do next? How do we respond to this? And you'll notice that through a lot of the bigger controversies that culture was going on, we didn't chase those from the pulpit much here at faith. We would address them from time to time, but it wasn't always an opportunity to give a new sermon series on whatever culture was dealing with. I'm not saying that churches that do that are missing the mark, but for us, there were other health concerns and, and other things that we were building at faith, mainly a focus on the gospel because we believe the gospel, when applied, answers all of those controversies and all of those difficulties. So to keep our eye on the ball, we said, Lord, what do you have from your word for us? Rather than being led around by the nose with whatever, whatever culture was thrown at us, because it's always going to be something new. If we're not keeping our eye on the ball, scripturally, we'll be dragged all over the place. So we are leading together, not dragged by the whims of culture or the temperature of the things that are going on around us. Let me just read for us once again, back in Romans 12, we're going to pick up in verse 14. Again, if this were the description, the action, and the motivation of any church, what impact would it make on the culture and the community around it? Paul says for us to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those. And now that just that verse alone, verse 14, could not we do a whole series for a year 
on how to stand up in this culture. Bless those who persecute you. No, we're supposed to persecute louder, more pointedly. We're supposed to have a hot take. We're supposed to knock our enemies down at the knees. Paul says, no, per, don't, don't do that. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Unfortunately, I believe the identity of the church has become a little bit snickering at those who weep and are going through stresses and difficulties and confusions and things rather than seeing that what's broken on the inside of the individuals, the same things that were broken in us that led us to the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, to live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That means you're going to really blow his mind. Why are you doing that for me? I just did this to you and your response was to serve me. That's the old, that's the old language for what we say now modernly. Mind blown. Verse 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The description of how we move out in our motivations for doing so, I think are found in this passage of scripture. And no matter what plans we put together, no matter what money we're able to throw at it, no matter who we're able to train up and to create leadership in those areas, none of it will be as successful as a person or a people surrendering to that kind of gospel call in their life. There isn't much strategy needed when it comes to living like this. We have an opportunity to continue to move out and support those that are moving around the world like we do with the Robertsons and the Urgas who are in Ethiopia. And we'll be bridging those gaps a little bit more and getting to know them all more. But we also have an incredible opportunity right in our backyard. Those of you that were here for our outdoor service, you might remember that we pointed behind the stage and said there's a whole city of people here that we haven't met It's not because some of you don't live in Waterville. It's not because you don't have friends or jobs in Waterville. But the church and its identity, by and large, is greatly removed from the city. The Lord has blessed us in other ways, and we try to remain faithful in that. But are we not also called and equipped and prepared to bring the gospel message to the city uh, in which we live? And so there's ways in which we plan and pray to go about doing that. Some of these I'll try to give you just a quick overview of today. But but for the most part, we're going to just be in repeat about these opportunities to see what kind of heart the church has for these kinds of things. We believe that the reason why we should be talking like this, focusing with intention on this, is because that's what churches are commissioned to do. They go out, they spread, they reproduce. And that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intention. And I believe that faith is uniquely positioned to reach our city through the various contacts we have, through the positive reputation that we've gained from trying to be faithful and approachable through all the years. 
and the various personnel that we have in our midst. It's amazing. Even in our prayer time this morning, we were starting to talk about some of these organizations and opportunities and all of this contact was just coming out of that communication. Oh, I know that person and I know what they're trying to do. And I bet we could get in over here. And it's just amazing what we have. So it feels as though that if we don't do something with all that we've been blessed with, we're squandering this. We're not trying to do this to, to carve out new territory or to say that faith is successful or any of those things, but to not do it seems like something that would be dishonoring to the Lord. And we need to be ready to move out. I don't know if you've noticed, but this room keeps getting a little fuller and fuller each week. Do we just get bigger for ourselves and say, oh, isn't that great? We go back to two services. We do, all Or do we do this on purpose and say so we're moving out, we're spreading this out. We're not just containing it all for ourselves. I don't know what it all looks like or what it means, but it seems like that's the kind of healthy and godly pressure we need to be feeling with all this. It's a church's duty, and it's our privilege to raise up a generation of called leaders to train and equip them, as Pastor Tom had just said to us, and that's what we're striving to do. Who are we going after? What are we targeting? What does this all look like? There's so many different ways. Let me sum it up by saying this. There are groups and organizations out there that exist already. I'm going to ask for them to be on the list behind me of that people that we either know the leaders or the leaders are sitting in this room right now or they're organizations that we used to have contact with or maybe we've still got a foot in the door. There are organizations that exist that would welcome the presence of God's light to sit around those tables and help them strategize or that the movement of God's people would come in and say, I can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this organization. We've had tremendous success partnering with these different groups and them not saying to us, Oh, don't bring your Jesus stuff to us. I I don't think that's really ever comes up in conversation as we've given our time and our attention to any of those things. And we don't go out of our way to be obnoxious, But we do these things or we volunteer these things because we want to shine the light of Christ, just as we heard from the angel tree opportunity. So there's too many to list. I mean, too many to to read through right now and to explain our contacts and all these things. But these are the kinds of things that you'll be hearing from us over and over and over again as opportunities come up. These are the organizations that we don't have to go and invent. These are the groups that already exist, that they're just looking for help. And we can be that kind of right help for them. But then there's also an aspect in which the church can lead uniquely because some of these things don't exist. Or the gospel prepares us to do something different. And that's what we've called over the years our One Hope Initiative, which combats this um, uh, the aspect of, of addiction and the grip that it has on the lives of people in our city. And that's where, in a large way, the the partnership with Celebrate Recovery came as we were talking about these things and the Lord was leaning on Jeremy to start something that was uh, targeting this addiction crisis and, and it became part of one of the pillars of our One Hope initiative that we would go after this um, stronghold that Satan has in the lives of people in this area of addiction. And that we would also move into the space there. People are having a hard time finding work or keeping work or knowing how to uh, get those jobs or employers finding the right people to work with them. And so we partnered with an organization that brought job fairs to our church and we started making the contacts for people and trying to improve the lives of our city and also improve the lives of those who need sustainable work. 
And then we started looking at what can we do for families who are in crisis where maybe somebody is single parenting or maybe they're in trouble with some of these other issues like either drugs or employment or something and can't care for the needs of our children. What's our strategy for helping and bringing assistance with that? And so our partnership with Safe Families started to uh, develop and, and get off the ground. And we've had some success in each of these areas. Celebrate Recovery, because it's in-house, I believe, has been our greatest area of, of growth and flourishing. But those other two areas were starting. And then all of a sudden we had this, I don't know, global interruption and these other breakdowns and things like that, that just didn't help us. What, what if we got back to that? What if we put our focus in reaching these needs? So how do we do this? Well, it starts with what we're doing now, which is a challenge to the church. You're going to hear, as I've said, regular messaging from our pulpit. We're going to study the book of Acts together, not so that we can recreate the magic of what God did then. I hear sometimes churches striving to do that. It, a unique period of time and, and a start and a birth to the church. But but still to to go back to that sense of anticipation, what could God do? When he shows up and his glory is on display, how does it transform a people? How does it transform a city? How does it birth a church? These are the things I believe that the Lord's calling us back to and be reminded of to live in a sense of expectation. So much of the expectation has been beaten out of us over the last several years. We've started to think, well, let's just hang on and endure. Where's the joy in that? So bringing life to things like our Pray 320 initiative, or maybe we get together through different prayer and update opportunities, either personally or through Zoom or something like that. And then the things that you're hearing through our, from our pulpit and our Sunday gatherings would, would challenge us as a church to what's my part going to be? Where do I step up? And then we're going to move, which we can do immediately, but it's going to play out in various uh, elements and phases. We're going to move to engage our city. To, to do the small things and the big things. Here's a small idea for you. When's the last time, if you don't live in Waterville, when's the last time you just randomly drove through it to be, to see like the changes to Main Street or what new businesses have started or unfortunately which ones have failed? Just on general knowledge, what's going on in the greatest population um, uh, center we have in our, in our area? How unfamiliar have you become? I know I've become very unfamiliar. My life can go from this point of KMD and head that way. And I have to be sometimes dragged down to certain elements of Waterville just to even know what's going on. What if I, if, if I, if we started changing our mindset to say, I'm going to randomly, I do this sometimes, like on Thursday nights, I drop the kids off to a youth group or something. I'll go and just take a drive through Watermill and pray through the streets. Just make mindless kind of left turns, right turns and everything. Lord, do something here that we can't even imagine or think. What if we started doing that? Well, we'd increase the traffic for one, I think. But what if our prayers found their way? I'd say, let's hit the streets and on pavement and everything was cold out right now. So do it in your car. Be good to the gas companies. <laughs> Pray for the Lord to do a miracle in your gas tank. Lord, as I give you this time, fill my, my uh, gauge up. So, um, Or recreational. Do you think in terms of Waterville when you want to go out to eat or what you want to do for fun or what you want to go see for sports or anything along those lines? It's not because Waterville's better than any other town in which you live in or that we have a reach in. But again, we're focusing on a geographic region because the Lord's put us in a city. How can our small groups maybe partner together and come up with various projects and that sort of thing? There's so many ideas and needs and things that we've been talking about. But we, how do we engage the city starting now? Eventually, maybe paving the way for us to plant a physical ministry 
further in town so that we have the needs that are existing and things that are on foot and all those kinds of things we're more aware of. I can share with you, and I will at some point, can share with you a story of how we were just drawn, our attention was drawn to something happening downtown. We had no idea what, what was going on. And the Lord started moving in, in, the, in the ideas and the minds and the hearts of some of our people to do something about it. But if nobody had told me, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known what was going on. We'll share that story soon. Ooh, the intrigue. We have, an, we have an opportunity to train those that are called, to prepare them, to support the work of what we're, what we're doing in both churches so we don't take our eyes off the ball and, and, and only go in one direction. There's thoughts going into all of these things. But again, the, the phase of this is, are we going to do this together? We're looking for signs of participation and, and health and and the ways in which our church is participating, because we're aiming for that participation, not permission. We know your faith. We know that your trust in the leadership. If we said, we really want to do this idea, are you guys okay with that? You'd say, we trust you. We know you'll be all right with the money, and you'll be okay with this and everything. So yeah, go ahead and have it. That's not the way we want to go about this, is can we do this together? Can we move forward? So to embrace this bigger picture of what the church is designed to be, also involves an embracing of the bigger possibilities of our purpose. And so this is a calling for us to live by our design, to use the gifts and the positioning that he's put us in, the resources not only he's given us externally, but his own spirit living within us, to move us out to be faithful in this regard. And to prioritize a calling in your life, that moment in which we were getting that update on Angel Tree and you just kind of sense, I'm a part of something bigger and more important than what I was stressing about this week or what I was freaking out about or any of those kinds of things. That's the kind of experience that the Lord wants to bring you on on a regular basis. As we give ourselves over to the priority of the calling that each of us have, we find our greatest purpose <clears throat> Excuse me, is found in the surrender that we have to his will. So let's prioritize the gospel together in our lives in 2023. Let's, let's apply it in even greater ways than we've been led to do so far. Be willing to be moved out of our comfort zones. And let's bring the gospel to our city together this coming year. That we would go, that we would uh, roll our sleeves up, that we would get involved in the opportunities that are presented. Yes, they're going to be inconvenient. I'm, I'm thinking about that now. Right now, so many parts of my life are just fit in these little categories, and I love all of that definition, and I don't want anything to be upset, and I'm going, Lord, this is going to change the comfort of my existence. And he's going, yes. Go back and read Acts and tell me, okay, am I throwing you in jail yet? Am I having you beaten and flogged? Get off the couch on a Tuesday night and do something. Okay, I will. It's our calling to roll our sleeves up and to get our hands dirty to invest in a kingdom that will not perish, a place where wrath and must, uh, rust and, 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 and moth cannot corrupt and, the, and the, the, the rewards and the blessings of it live on forever. Thank you so much for letting us speak at you a bunch this morning. Prayerfully, next week we'll get back more into the routine of which we're used to, and we'll be studying Ephesians again and moving forward as a church. I cannot tell you, especially having been a part of this this morning, how excited I am to see what the Lord's going to do in the life of our church as we enter into this new phase. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and let's prepare to close our time in prayer. Lord God, it really is a privilege 
Um, it's a scary privilege, I think, if I'm being honest, Lord, to be drawn into further territory, to be given a higher mandate, Lord, from you. Can't believe you'd use us. And uh, Lord, I, I just know that there are so many of us because of um, the, the beatdown we've received over our lives over the last several years, or maybe even before this whole pandemic thing and, and everything else, that we doubt often that you would use us, that you have more in store for us. And, and Lord, I just know that there's kind of a plague over our culture and society about this not expecting you to do the things that you can do. So help us, Lord, to put our focus on your glory to have your name and your greatness and your power revealed just through our simple offering of like we heard earlier, our loaves and fishes. Do everything that you want to do, that you're capable of, that you're willing to do through our humble little offerings that we give to you. You always have, and it seems as though, Lord, you always will. So thank you, Lord, and help us, Lord, to be faithful and in, in, in anticipating your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.